0: This episode of the PC Perspective Podcast is brought to you by Casper, an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price, because everyone deserves a great night's sleep. Get $50 off any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash PCPer and enter code PCPer.
1: Welcome to the PC Perspective Podcast. This is episode 378, recorded on December 9th, 2015. I'm Josh Walrith. I'm Jeremy Hellstrom. I'm Alan Malmantano. I'm Sebastian Peake. So we've kind of got the gang more here than last week with the addition yep. of Alan. Alan's had some unfortunate times, but he's pushing through. And, I'm uh, here. I have secretly replaced Ryan Trout. Yes, you have. For the week. And we're still 50% less ginger than usual, but mm. we've got Ken, and not only do we have Ken, but... You can see him. See, look.
2: Hi. The ginger it usually brigade. helps if I
1: unmute my microphone.
2: Hey, that's yeah. a good idea. Yeah.
1: Let's, uh, let's uh, you know, you can uh, email us at uh, podcastpcper.com. You can catch these podcasts at pcper.com slash podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash Ryan Shroud, or twitter.com slash pcper. I've got Twitter, Alan's got Twitter. Ken's got Twitter, Sebastian's got it, and even Jeremy. Yes, the Luddite in Vancouver. It's spreading. I, I, you hang out with these guys, next thing you know, you break out in tweets. Or carry a smartphone
0: that your company provides. Right. That, was, that wasn't my choice. Oh, well. That lifestyle was forced upon me. But at least you did it with style. I still don't understand the the, the whole idea that there's apps and games. It's not like a BlackBerry. I'm confused.
1: Yeah, well, we'll get over it one day. Uh, If you want to join the spam list where we actually did, did we send out an email tonight? Of course. How could you insinuate? I'm not on top of my game, Josh. (laughs) (laughs) Considering it's 817 when we should have started today. Sure. But that's my fault. Anyway. It is your fault. uh, As Spam list pcpercom slash subscribe. We promise not to send you any uh, cell phone content that could cause you to throw it across the room, but uh, we will send an email that tells you what's going on because we've had some live streams lately. What, uh last two weeks, uh, AMD and then the, uh, the Killing the Networks guys. We've got uh, some more stuff coming up in the next couple of weeks. I believe uh, we'll be talking to David Hewlett about... Uh, his documentary and uh, that he's working on called Upgrade Required. Um, also, should be having a uh, live stream of racing with a prize from Thrustmaster that we'll be giving away at the end of that. And that's again to be determined in the next couple of weeks. So, uh, you best subscribe to get in on these things. Uh, the week in review, it was somewhat busy for some. I needed to do more writing, but that's kind of par for the course. Uh, our good friend uh, Ryan, who owns this place and signs our checks, and I hope he's not listening to this because I haven't written anything in a little while, um, he went to Sonoma, California. His bag didn't quite make it there at the same time he did. He had to go and buy some underwear, but he also got to talk to AMD and learn about some of the down from the Radeon group. Now, a couple of things that he thought were interesting there was that uh, he saw very little AMD branding. It's all RTG, Radeon technology group. It's it's all red. He said he saw no, no AMD branding, yeah. actually. <laughs> so know? that's uh, interesting that they're, they're moving that branding along that way, and I guess it, it probably needed to be done because um, while the synergies are there for e- APUs, it just seems like marketing has has gone away from uh, pushing the two different products in a way that is more conducive towards gaming and, and the higher performance that the Radeon group, you know, is kind of pushing rather than the APUs. But uh, they went over all kinds of things. Uh, improvements to FreeSync is is as we have seen through the latest Crimson drivers will be improved upon they're going to be adding that support through HDMI. Um, HDMI does not have a VRR uh, application inside or, or a specification and uh, they're actively pushing that through the HDMI standard but until that point they are working with the people uh, making these these chips uh, for communicating over HDMI to add certain non-spec functionality so they can add the, the VRR and hopefully the official spec will one day support that type of functionality. Um, but they do have a way to do that. We'll be seeing uh, these HDMI monitors probably, what, middle of next year, 2017? No, wait, 2016. Good Lord. I'm way ahead of myself. Uh, what do you think, uh, Alan? Alan, do you, do you have any thoughts on HDMI versus uh, DP 1.2 at A and, and 1.3 that we're seeing here?
3: I kind of feel like uh, everybody's moving away from HDMI lately at least and everybody's just moving towards DisplayPort Um, but you know I mean if you can make the older I guess kind of sort of older but if you can like make that more compatible with other things then so be it like that's it's not bad it's just um, I just feel like uh, everything's kind of DisplayPort now like any of the modern video cards you see now have like you know just gobs of DisplayPorts and like HDMI is the minority that's like the extra port now you know,
1: yeah, it's maybe one HDMI plug, but I guess that uh, AMD was was telling uh, Brian that a lot of the lower end monitors just come out with HDMI. I know that uh, I've bought some IPS monitors from like ASUS and LG lately. Uh, well, maybe not lately, but in the last you know year, and uh, they rarely come with a DisplayPort or even a DVI. It's all just HDMI, and it comes with a cord that that has a, a DVI to HDMI kind of adapter on it. And so I think that uh, that is the push, is to not so much get away from DisplayPort, but offer that same functionality in less expensive monitors that may only be built out with a a single HDMI port. Um, I should probably click on this dang thing and and see what else they talked about. Uh, HDR. That's going to be kind of an interesting thing. Uh, they, They talked about not only have to have things like VRR, but we also need to have better looking pixels, and HDR displays are a part of that. Uh, right now, the contrast range for modern, uh, like IPS LCDs, is is not that great. And so, what um, oh, you know, looking at the sun is one point six billion nits. Um, fluorescent light is ten thousand nits. Highlights is that like. Highlights in somebody's hair, like Ken's, they're that bright. No, headlights, probably, anyway. 1,000 to 10,000 nits. So you look, uh, what most PC displays are 0.1 to 250 nits. LCD, HD TVs, 0.1 to 350 to 400 nits. But uh, to do HDR, um, it's 0.005 nits to 10,000. Is that? Am I reading that right?
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, that's what they're hoping for. That's what they're hoping for.
1: Uh, yeah. HDR LCDs with LED local dimming. That's where you have LED lighting behind the panel and in areas that you can kind of up and down them. They can they can go to peak of two thousand nits, and uh, it's holiday of twenty sixteen. So next year, and then finally HDR uh, OLED. That's kind of a. Uh, Interesting thing. I mean, it can do what a peak five hundred today, and a uh, thousand nits by sixteen. And of course, with OLEDs, you can get absolute black because that unit that emits light can just go to zero, nothing, no power. So absolute nice black. So you know, HDR um, is
3: kind of a a big thing there. You guys have any thoughts on that? That 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 does kind of hint at uh, at least on the LCD side. It, kinds of, it kind of hints at like what kind of panels would be required for that. Because if, if you think about it, you're going to have to have a backlight that's capable of the maximum brightness. And it's mm-hmm. going to have to be running at that brightness pretty much all the time. right? So you're going to have a much, much brighter backlight, which means that your pixels are going to need to be the technology capable of the deepest possible blacks. Because if you're amplifying the backlight by so much, like you couldn't use TN panel technology with this, in other words, because... Uh, a black panel on a, that with a TN uh, matrix you know with such a bright backlight would look like medium gray <laughs> right it, w- it just wouldn't even be black at all yeah. um, and the panel tech that comes to mind that gives you the deepest blacks is like MVA, right um, That is right, right MVI pa- MVA panel like MVA, the one in that uh, uh,
1: yeah, it's kind of an offshoot.
3: Yeah the, yeah, the variant the, stuff. The, yeah it's an IPS type panel but uh it's a little bit like a few tweaks done to ips technology and it basically just gives you much deeper blacks you don't get that ips glow kind of thing at least not nearly as much as you do on an actual like a a straightforward ips panel Um, yeah the
4: vertical alignment panels are known for having really good contrast ratio better blacks they close
3: off the light behind uh the panel better yep Yep. So, And that's absolutely, absolutely going to be necessary when you crank the backlight up that high. Or they're going to have to do some kind of really good local dimming um, in a computer LCD panel, which is usually that kind of technology is in like really high-end televisions. Um, and, I mean, the other alternative is the really easy one, which is just OLED, right? Like, uh, then you don't have to worry about the blacks being black because it's just... There's no light coming from it, so got a twenty-five
2: thousand dollar, twenty-seven inch monitor, but you know,
3: (laughs) hey, well, I'm hoping that that stuff starts to really come down um, quickly enough. I think they've kind of knocked out, you know, since you you can buy OLED displays now, and I mean they're in phones, and they don't seem to be degrading, right? Remember there was the issue with like blue OLED pixels, like would degrade over time or degrade with a lot of use, and you'd kind of like have. you kind of have burn-in on a display, which I would, you know, hopefully would never, ever see again. Um, no, it's coming back. It, you know, well, it should be good enough. If they're in shipping phones with that and nobody's really complaining about it over several years of use, um, then I would imagine they can, they can pull it off in a, in a desktop panel now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this HDR thing might be the push needed to get OLED into just com- commodity desktop panels in in a much shorter period of time than it would if we were just going with what we had right now which is just you know the vast majority of them being just LCD right
2: do does the like quantum dot backlight stuff that we kind of been seeing happen in the background would that affect would that make HDR easy at any point or is that just increasing the color space you think yeah, it color would space.
3: It, it would yeah it would give it would make your colors richer and you would just combine that with you know just uh a brighter intensity light source yeah. basically to get that, to get that higher HDR spectrum to come out of the panel. Hmm. Um, but yeah, the quantum dot stuff is actually very, very good at giving you like a, cause it's all about, you know, ideally you would want like a very specific peak for red, green, and blue and like not a lot of anything else. Right. Like um, there was a, I think it was Mitsubishi made it like that laser view. Yeah. That rear projection that used three color lasers uh, to do the projecting uh, as the light source, and that was like an amazing panel. And if it was, if that if that panel was happening nowadays, like that would be the ideal thing for like HDR. Like you could just basically make that do HDR because it was such a huge difference between the you know. You could burn your max... retinas with the laser beams. You really, you're like, you, literally, you could right. It was just like a really high intensity red, green, and blue. Um, I got to see one of those displays on a, on a showroom floor one time. And I was just floored with it. I mean, it was just, like, so vivid. It was almost, like, too vivid, right? So now we actually have color spaces, you know, that are supposed to handle color being that vivid, like, legitimately. Not just because they cranked something way up. And, you know, the the thing that we're playing back wasn't actually trying to be that vivid in the first place, right? Um, You know, now we have... The capability of recording things and you know where the red is supposed to be that red and that bright uh, okay now i'm actually recording that and then trying to play it back at that same uh you know that same brightness so yeah
2: yeah, yeah uh, like i've been reading about the sort of hdr video push for the tv manufacturers but i didn't even like think about it coming from a computer monitor technology standpoint and like seeing ryan write this it's like oh yeah we're probably gonna see a decent amount of that next month like hdr video demos from people who are selling monitors and like that's definitely gonna be a thing in 2016 which is something i wasn't thinking about at all for monitors and pcs
3: yep we, th- we thought the wave was over with the g-sync and the freesync stuff Oh no, all kind of nope it's just gonna turn right into the hdr thing you and, give like, them
2: more bandwidth with dp 1.3 and they gotta do something with it
3: yep and hey i'm not complaining because <laughs> i'm all for like much better sharper crisper looking like super bright Displays that'd be awesome. Like I'd just and it just
2: keeps pushing my next monitor buy back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> same here. Maybe you don't want to buy that eleven hundred dollar G Sync monitor today.
4: <laughs> no,
0: oh. but, you know, hold off till you can get a ten thousand nit one. Then it'll also give you a nice glowing glow to your face at the same time after you I, yeah. marathon.
3: I will say, I will say this though. Uh- Every other newer monitor tech thing that gets pushed out is just going to help push the prices of the other newer stuff down, right? so to be like, well, I could get that G-Sync panel. It's a little bit pricey, but then like, oh, this like super awesome HDR panel just came out and like it came, you know, was on sale for just as much as that G-Sync panel was. So now the G-Sync panel has to come down in price, right? So it's just going to keep pushing the other stuff lower. So that's good.
1: These things are good. Uh, They also talked a little bit about the performance uh, that it will take to do render in HDR. Uh, I believe that, uh, what, uh, 1080p, go ahead and throw that um, if you can, Ken. Do you have that Yep. little graph? Uh, As we can see here, 1080p, 120 hertz, 10 bits per color, R900 series all can do it. That's over HDMI 1.4b and DisplayPort 1.2. And you can kind of go up that, and, and at the very top end, is going to be the upcoming 2016 Radeon GPUs that will feature HDMI 2.0a, DisplayPort 1.3, and DisplayPort 1.2. And it can do 4K at 60Hz with 10 bits per color. So that's um, it's going to take some bandwidth. It's going to take some muscle in the, uh, the upcoming top-end GPUs. But we'll see by next year, at the time when HDR monitors will be showing up, Hmm. We'll be able to push it. That's, Odd timing. Uh, hmm? Odd timing. <laughs> yes, I guess so. <laughs> well, you've got to have the hardware first before. Yeah. Well, at least, you know, something to push those monitors <laughs> before the monitors even show up. But, I mean, uh, how long has uh, AMD and NVIDIA have had 10-bit support? And these were mostly in, uh, what, the Quadro series and then the... Uh, the Fire Yeah. The fire, yeah, fire pros. That uh,
2: correct? They they really weren't offered on um, any of the uh, the consumer models. Just those. I don't know if that's the case anymore. I think you can do 10 bit on a GeForce and a Radeon. I could be wrong. Yeah, I, I, I can't
1: remember because who the hell has a 10 bit? <laughs> right. now? Not very many people. I mean, unless you're a professional and you're paying buku bucks, then uh, that would be the case. What else did they talk about? We already talked about HDMI. Um, we already talked about the, the behavior on, on uh, FreeSync. Now, you guys have, t- have tested the latest uh, FreeSync uh, officer offered through Crimson and the the behavior at minimum um, frame rates. I mean, how, how
2: did that work, Ken? Yeah, I mean, it all seems to work as we expected. We ran into a couple of little bugs that we talked to them about, but like it's just sort of new driver stuff that probably c- came along with Crimson, not necessarily the FreeSync limitation. It, But when it's working, and it, it worked like 99% of the time, just kind of a couple of outliers, it worked like we'd expect it to. It worked like G-Sync. It, you'd had smooth transitions over that 2.5x range that they were talking about. So not every FreeSync monitor supports it, but if your minimum FreeSync refresh is uh, 2.5x or more than your... If your if your free sync range is 2.5x the someone help me out here, I can't English today. If your minimum frame rate is two, your maximum frame rate is 2.5x or less. More. What?
3: <laughs> I am editing okay. this out of the okay. podcast. So oh, the oh, minimum, it so stays. The, okay. So the minimum and the maximum, I don't, the panel I don't, yeah. have to be at least 2.5x apart. There you go. Okay. If that's the case then the AMD driver, just at the driver level, can do the doubling or tripling yes. or whatever needs yes. to happen in order to have the same effect as what a G-Sync panel would natively do. The only difference is that in the AMD's case, uh, the driver and the GPU is just sending the frames, you know, sending the extra frames when it needs to, right? It's just like, okay, I don't want to go down to the minimum to where the panel would have to start tearing or start you know, juddering or whatever might happen in the regular case, I'll just beat that to the punch and I'll just insert the frames intelligently on my own, which is the exact kind of thing that even from the beginning we were speculating. We were like, you know, hey, FreeSync can't do this, G-Sync can, but if AMD can figure it out, they can just do this at the driver level. Like, it's, it's not rocket science to just send the frame again, you know, before it's too late, um, basically. So that's good that they're doing this. Like, we've wanted them to do this actually since the very beginning. Um, so now they're at least, that's one less thing that G-Sync people can say that FreeSync can't do, right? Like, now you don't have to worry about the minimum, as, as far as we can tell. I don't think we've tested it extensively, but, like, the end result should be the same in this case.
2: Nice. Couldn't have said it any better myself. Yep. You, you, you tried real hard, Ken. Yep. There's a reason Getting I don't point a camera at my face, and this yeah. is it. Well, you're a college student,
1: and so you're not expected to think. Just, you know, repeat dogma. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Uh, interesting. One of the first notebooks with AMD FreeSync panel is the Lenovo Y700. Boy, do you think we're going to see this at CES? Well, Lenovo yes. doesn't like showing us anything. They never show us anything. They never invite us to their suite, and they never throw free things at us. Ever. Yeah, that's, that's bullshit. Um no, they're, they're they're always great to us, and uh, they show us a lot of stuff. In fact, they were the, one of the first couple years ago to show us that TN 4K panel that we were amazed was TN because it just didn't have the usual TN garbage associated with it. So hopefully the Y700 will be a nice surprise. It's going to have the uh, FX8800P. That's the Carrizo APU. I think it's a max 35 watts. Don't know where the thermals are going to be with this particular product because AMD allows the uh, the OEMs to adjust that, that TDP with these products anywhere from, you know, 15 to 35. Usually we'll see maybe 25 to 35 with this since it's a higher end part and an FX part. Uh, it utilizes the uh, Radeon R9 M380. And uh, I'm hoping that's going to be comparable to an R9 380 on the desktop I know that uh, they can adjust again the TDP of those GPUs and that would be plenty of plenty of beef Uh, 15.6 inch 1080p monitor is nice because how many AMD laptops have we seen that features what the 1376 by 800 resolution or whatever the hell that is that uh, is just no no good, no good, but um, 899 bucks from Best Buy and available now. Have you seen it at Best Buy yet, Ken? I know that Ryan was talking
2: about it. Uh, no, I, I haven't seen it. I guess we'll see it in a couple weeks. Yes. Should be interesting. Yes, we shall. So, yeah, that
1: it, uh, it should be a nice big push for, for AMD, if that's the case, because they've had uh, very limited APU offerings in a decent chassis. For, uh, for laptops. Certainly, they're inexpensive, the ones that are out currently, but nothing is really, uh, really feeling expensive in that fit and finish department. Um, DisplayPort 1.3. The 2016 Radeon GPUs are going to be the first mobile architecture to support DisplayPort 1.3. HBR3, nice. HBR3 provides up to 32.4 gigabytes of bandwidth. That's 80% over HDMI 2.0. Uh, 1.3 also utilized existing cables. That's kind of interesting. And there's less than 2 million certified cables recommended for optimum experience. So what this essentially allows us, if we go down to the next slide, are these kind of uh, resolutions and refresh rates um, That first one, just a 1080p, you can have up to 240 hertz SDR and HDR, and you go up to the 4K, uh, 120 hertz SDR, which means that there's going to be (laughs) some 4K monitors coming out that support upwards of 120 hertz, which will be nice for those looking for G-Sync and FreeSync, Um, or you can have up to 60 hertz HDR and the latest 5K monitors, which, what, only Apple
2: has at this time? Uh, Dell sells one, and I think HP does as well. Oh, okay. They, oh, yeah. they, they have to use yeah. They have to use two DisplayPort connectors currently because there's not enough bandwidth, which is what DP 1.3 will help fix. It's going to help out with so 60
1: hertz SDR. Interesting times coming up ahead uh, for both you know AMD and obviously their competitor. Uh, they they don't work in a vacuum, and they're dealing with the same monitor guys and the same scaler guys and. You name it, uh, they're all working together to bring 8R to LCD computer technology, which is nice. Yeah, I think that 3440 by 1440 at 140 hertz HDR might be kind of a sweet spot for a lot of folks. Yeah. It would be for me, so I guess I've just got to wait another stinking year <laughs> for upgrading these monitors. Better than us. Uh, Somebody questioned uh, DP forward and backward compatible Um, I believe so So if you've got a uh, DP 1.2 And you connect it to one of these monitors You're probably not going to get HDR or if you Do it's going to be slower In terms of hertz range But uh, Yeah I think that uh, it's going to be backwards And forward -forward compatible But for the best experience DP 1.3 will be Where you want to go I think that pretty much covers all of Ryan's stuff. It was a lot of information, pretty densely packed, and certainly he got to experience the wine country of Sonoma, courtesy of AMD, while I got to freeze my ass off in Laramie, Wyoming, with no wine. Anyway. I don't know. I heard of one right there. That is pretty good wine. Yeah. Funny guy. Hey! Sebastian. What's up? I hear you've been uh, reviewing things lately.
4: I have. uh, It's a great feeling, Josh. You should try it. I should. Because I like getting paid. I also like getting things off my list because if you don't review things, they start to pile up and it becomes alarming. But boy, it sure helps to insulate the house with the boxes. It does. It really does. My wife loves it. She loves it every time a new computer case comes to the front door. Uh, And speaking of computer cases, the Antec P380 review went up today. This is a a full tower enclosure from Antec. It's part of their performance series. These have been well known uh, like a popular quiet, attractive, sort of sophisticated computer case for a long time. The last one, before 2015 to come out, Ryan reviewed back in 2011. So these, this, this series have been out for a long time. And I was kind of looking at what the differences between this and like the two eighty before it might be and I decided just when I got it, I would I would take it out of the box, start taking pictures and kind of like figure it out for myself. I didn't do a lot of research first. And I started to get as you go through the review, basically my impressions of the case continuously change the further into it I go. So, from the very beginning, you know, it's it's a nice looking enclosure. It's got aluminum panels on the on the front and on the top. It feels really solid. It's quite heavy out of the box, but open it up and it's got kind of thin side panels. The metal starts to feel a little bit thin the more you go into it. The actual frame that it's based on is is far less sturdy than I would have expected for a case that has a $229 MSRP. And this is a quiet case. They use a dense material that is coating the inside of the doors. This windowed one, of course, there's very little on the windowed side, but on the back panel I was looking at it, and it's, it's dense, but it's about a millimeter thick. So it's... I was very curious to see how it would actually perform, given how thin and lightweight the actual steel construction was when you get past the four millimeter thick aluminum facade. So if you go to the second page of the review, there is a pretty in-depth look at what's actually going on under the hood with this enclosure. And it is essentially a different enclosure completely. So you take the front of it off and you have five and a quarter inch optical bays, which are not on the spec sheet at all, they have the old school punch outs. They do support uh, standard optical drives. In fact, if you take a few screws out of the front panel and take the aluminum facade off, which is just a separate piece,
1: don't you mean facade? Uh, is that how it's pronounced <laughs> in Wyoming?
4: If you take this off, it's. I have. I took a picture of it just because I thought it was crazy completely put back together again without the front panel on because it's just a completely different enclosure at that point. You're getting an enclosure that's from like 2001 and it's all plastic on the front and it's got this kind of weird pop-off honeycomb-looking air filter. And the filter for the front intake fans, you can't... I cannot find a way to take it off without taking the front panel off i'd have to re-explore this but as i was going it it almost looks like the front panel access is a complete afterthought the power and reset toggles on the front are hidden under the facade you have to kind of reach in which is fine it works once you know where the power buttons are but it comes with a slimline adapter to install your own slim optical drive which i i can't really ever see doing it's nice i guess when and manufacturers offer this. I know Silverstone did that with the last Raven. They're like, you can put a slim optical drive in. You just have to find your own. And it has to be a slot load. It can't be a tray. So you can't take it out of like an old laptop easily. But their instructions for installing this are basically what you see on the screen if you're watching. There's one entry and that's it. You're supposed to figure out how to get the front panel off, how many screws. Uh, to remove, it's it becomes apparent that you can't even have the front filter in so, place. So does
1: it say D is going to be question mark, question mark, and E is profit?
4: I, I, don't, I, I don't even know where to start. Basically, I just, it's, it's like it was thrown in as an afterthought, but they didn't have to. And it, there's, there's plenty of competition out there that, I think this case would have sold just fine if there wasn't any optical support. Look at uh, the Fractal Define S and some of the other popular cases that are out there that have just completely dropped optical support. I don't see the point, but I also would be curious to look through their back catalog and see which case this is actually based off of because it it became apparent to me after a short time that this was a different enclosure that had a a couple of aluminum panels added to it. it.
2: I'd have to take another look at the front of my P280, which is my home theater PC, without the like the front door. Yeah. But I think it's probably pretty similar. I know it has that same filter in the same place, and the two optical bays, and it's probably pretty close. So yeah, if it's an upgrade uh, in
4: certain ways, or if, like if they based it on the prior uh, chassis, I would understand. But some of the decisions that were made just seem odd to me. But Getting down to the actual performance of it, it wasn't bad. It's it's not super quiet. It's going to be dependent on the components. Just about any aftermarket cooler is going to be quiet enough. You're not going to hear your GPU screaming inside this thing. But it didn't do uh, much to damp the sound. And I compared it just quickly against the Define S for noise and temperatures. It has uh, adjustable case fan settings, which is nice. I always like it when the case fans have their own speed control, because this has one of those uh, powered fan hubs that don't actually uh, attach to the controller on your motherboard. And at the low setting, it performed pretty well. For temperatures, it performed uh, better with liquid than air. There was some kind of odd airflow inside the case. There's not a lot of positive pressure out of the box. You would have to take the front panel off and reinstall the included 140 millimeter top fans and put them in the front, which I would recommend, but it didn't ship that way. So I didn't test it that way, but overall this came down to price. Like so many of these enclosures do for hundred dollars. You can buy so many great enclosures right now that even though you can find this one for 129 bucks on new which is hundred dollars less than the MSRP. It's just kind of a staggering price. This is a case that after looking at it, handling it, I would, if you had me guess, I would have said $89. And then I look at the MSRP and I'm like, are you kidding me? So it's just, and and the price has adjusted you can see how the market has adjusted and the prices come down. But this is the same story we saw with the Antec signature S10 that we reviewed earlier this year, and that's a case that came out. It looked fantastic, all aluminum, and, and a lot of plastic, actually. The more you got into it, you're like, this is actually mostly plastic with aluminum and steel, and the performance was okay, but then you looked at the MSRP, and it came out at 499 $4. so, 499 $499? they are introducing these products with not just a premium price, but at the very top of whatever market like this this full tower p380 is a i'd say it's a mid-tier enclosure it would compete against i want to say the 750d is the full tower 110 120 dollar-ish corsair case and then like the fractal define r5 all these cases in the 120 twenty dollar range but i had a hard time trying to to recommend this case. It, the, the absolute best part of it was the storage. And I wish more cases had storage options like this. There's a nice row of eight hard drive bays right in the front. they are sturdy trays. They slide out easily uh, with, without tools. And each one has nice soft grommets when you attach the drives to reduce vibration. Those are extremely well done. Without those five and a quarter inch bays at the top, you could have had two more hard drive bays. So they're just kind of wasting space because they reused an old chassis.
1: Unless, but, of course, you actually use an optical drive like me.
3: And,
4: and
1: if you did use an optical drive, a, a, a standard
4: optical drive, you can, but then you're sacrificing the, the whole appearance of the case by taking that front panel off. Well, this is true. So it's, 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 an, odd, it's an odd product. So I, I'd be curious to see where it ends up, if it drops a little bit more in price. It, once it's all put together, it's very sturdy. It looks nice. It uh, has a big side panel window. No one's going to know but you about some of the idiosyncrasies of this case. And half the people probably don't even care if they're buying it for a specific purpose. The fact that it does support EATX motherboards, it is a full tower design. It has a lot of storage. And it's fairly quiet if you leave the fans in the low setting. But it was a little disappointing to me. As you can tell, uh, this is coming on top of the S10. I was hoping that this would be a little bit more like a value proposition. So we'll see what they have in store for us in the coming year. Because they, they have made some really great products in the past. And I'd like to see something with a more like compelling design inside and out. Because the, the, the fit and finish, once you get into it, they do a lot of things well. It's just this, this product seems like a kind of a hodgepodge.
1: Interesting. Maybe it's that sound dampening material. The dense but thin really adds to the price. I don't know. I mean, was it kind of cushy? No. No? It just was was hard. It was like a hard
4: like a resin of some kind. Just a a layer of some
1: sort of a heavy material. Almost like a plastic. Huh. Well, I guess that would probably account for some of the cost, but uh, it, it, it certainly is it, when put together, a, a nice-looking case, but yeah, the functionality seems a little odd. But moving along, uh, Maury went ahead and reviewed the Asus Maximus 8 Gene motherboard. Um, Boy, Jeremy, have you read this one? Oh, I took a wee peek at it. Oh, nice. How's the battery and placement? Sebastian actually has it. I have it. I own this oh. motherboard. Why don't you talk about it, Sebastian? Unless you don't want to. Well, Jeremy can talk
0: about it. I can just model it here. Well, there you go. You, Vanna nice White style. So uh, first thing you're going to ask, how much is it? It's 230 bucks For what you get, actually pretty decent. Uh, you get the whole slew of the stuff that you're expecting uh, from one of the modern Z170 chipsets. uh 8 plus 2 power. Uh, as you can see, 2 PCI Express. If you scroll back up again, Ken, one of the caveats that Mori offers, and honestly, because it is a micro ATX board, it's kind of hard to figure out how to do this properly, but smack dab in between those PCI slots, uh, just beside the heatsink is your M.2 port. So it's lovely to have it included, but if you put a GPU in there, uh, good luck getting at it. So make sure that you put it in there first. But again, with a board of this size, there's really nowhere else to stick it. Uh, so it's, it's a bit of a negative, but on the other I hand... Actually,
4: if I could yeah. interrupt, I actually had a question for Alan about this for myself. Because of the M.2 slots location, if you have a video card that expels air into the case, like all these aftermarket coolers do, and you have a high-performance SSD like the 950 Pro that needs airflow, is it? You can you foresee an issue with Hot
3: GPU air blowing directly down onto your SSD? It actually depends, uh, depends on how hot that air is versus how much you're beating up on the SSD. So, like, an h 50 Pro won't start throttling it until it hits, you know, it's like 170 or 180 degrees. Mm. Um, it's pretty hot. Um, and it'll definitely get there on its own if it has zero airflow going across it and you're writing to it for an extended period of time. And, like, you basically have to be really saturating the thing for a couple of minutes to get it to warm up from room temperature up to that point. So with a so the, the the video card depending on the the temperature of the air coming out of it um it might actually help you. Like if the air is cool enough, say the air is like 150 coming out of there, at least it's air that's constantly blowing across that SSD and it's probably going to keep the SSD at 150. Is that, that Fahrenheit? What I mean? at least tell me
4: you're talking Fahrenheit. Fahrenheit, yeah. Oh, okay. So <laughs> like the the GPUs i've been testing only run between like 65 and 75 celsius at load right. on the core right. the air out on the fins of the heatsink is way cooler than that exactly so, so the air being expelled inside is only maybe what
3: 50 60 degrees at the most uh probably and and so that's actually you know like that'll help you right that's, like that'll that'll end up cooling 40-ish. yeah that'll end up cooling the ssd relative to the temperature that you know it would get to on its own without any airflow at all so right, you're saying so. the
4: location of this m.2
3: slot is actually a feature it, it could be the, um, the uh, gpu could actually act to cool your ssd it could uh... here's another thing uh... chances are when you're beating up your ssd that badly your gpu is going to be idle
4: <laughs> oh. okay. and so and you on you the flip one side of those gpus that doesn't spin at all well <laughs> unless you're at least See at what like I mean? 40% like,
3: load it, yeah, and, uh, and, and the other chances are is that when your GPU is, like, putting out a lot of heat, your SSD is probably not saturated with writes. See what I mean? So it's probably one or the other. So you might actually have to go into whatever your tweak tool is for your GPU. If you need that airflow, you would basically, uh, you know, if the fans are off on your particular GPU at idle, maybe, you know, go up to the minimum notch, on it just so that you have some air moving and being kind of directed out and most GPUs those fans when they're running at the first increment you still can't hear them right um, especially if it's the kind that has like you know three large fans or well, relatively if your large typical fans typical
4: use case at home is running furmark on a fanless GPU and running just
3: constant <laughs> writes to an SSD
2: <laughs> furmark and, and uh, iometer at the same time
3: yeah 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 just iometer just you know <laughs> Full sequential writes, the SSD just continues. Because
4: you're cold and the furnace isn't working and, you know, you need some heat
3: in the room. So, so there, were, there were a lot of review sites when they reviewed the 950 uh, SSDs that um, were kind of bashing on it because it was doing this throttling. But, like, none of them were saying that you had to write, like, over 100 gig in a row at over a gig per second. And to, have to, no
2: fans to, in your case.
3: And have zero airflow. <laughs> Uh, in order to get it to get you can have fans in your case it's just that if airflow is going across that slot specifically um but you know it's just like such a you know you're sitting like even if you were downloading from steam like if you're on gigabit the most you're going to write is 100 meg per second like it doesn't even warm one of those up doing that um you know if you're copying from a from a nas across the network and dumping stuff onto your drive you know if you're copying from a hard drive in your local system you're still not going to beat like 200 meg per second So, like, where are you going to get stuff to stick on this thing for long enough of a time to heat it up that hot? Like, it just, you know, even me, who's really kind of crazy with storage stuff on my home system, I would not heat this thing up to the point where it throttled, really, even with zero airflow going over it. i
2: just copied data off my SSD 750 onto my (laughs) 950 Pro and then back (laughs) and then back again. That's
3: what I had to do to make it do that. Like, I either had to be running something synthetic which was just making up numbers to stick on it, or copy from something that was faster, which was like a 750, yeah.
0: But if you've got a PCIe SSD, it's going to be actively cooled, and it'll be cooling at the end of it, (laughs) too.
3: Could be, yeah.
0: Ah, So, uh, apart from that, uh, you also get uh, six out of six gigabit ports, uh, a pair of sex ports, for those of you that uh, don't want to populate it with an extra four uh, set of 6 gigabit ports, uh, a crazy uh, onboard sound card, uh, the SupremeFX 2015. Uh, it has a, an immense amount of features, uh, including like 10 DAC channels, uh, which means that it can have a 7.1 and a separate two channel at the same time, which I'm grasping at a reason to do, but I'm sure somebody will come up with something. Uh, it's I'm trying to remember what else that uh thing does. Well, oh, it's also it also provides a powered uh, headphone jack,
4: right? Yep, it's got a high end or a higher, it's like a discrete um headphone stage. But the part of the supreme fx audio is a reference quality uh, like an audio file quality DAC. It's like a ESS yeah. Sabre, I want to say it's a 9018, so it's a it's like a 32 bit capable, 384 kilohertz capable. Does native DSD. So the same kind of sound chip that you'd find in a high high-end standalone DAC yeah. is in this board. And it's they do a, a decent job of separating the audio components from the rest of the board too. They do some isolation on the PCB. So very high-end audio.
0: Yeah, no, it's impressive. And as I mentioned in a post earlier this week, it's getting hard to sell a sound card because Good luck beating it for less than the price of a motherboard, and that motherboard's going to come out with something that's almost comparable in quality.
1: I think ESS has got a bunch of uh, well, I know that they're pushing this at CES a lot. I've seen a couple of advertisements for it, but uh, boy, that sounds like a heck of a chip for uh, yeah, for what they're using it for. Motherboard audio.
0: Uh, as you may expect, Maury... Stuck one of his giant heat sinks on there, the Noctuo by the color scheme. And again, I mean, it's probably weighs more than the poor board does and almost takes up the same footprint, but held up perfectly. No bent pins. And as long as you got a cooler this tall, you'll still be able to get at that CMOS chip because it's just north of that top PCI Express uh, slot. Yeah, uh, he went through. He, sorry. Did he end his Skylake? In nope. testing this, not yet. Good job, morning. We'll, we'll be more on this later. But uh, from what Francois has tested, and from what we've seen with our guys, you actually got to be trying, or you, you got to have that Noctua attached, and then box the system and ship it somewhere because you know that's reasonable to expect your chip's going to survive that. Totally. Uh, he goes through the UEFI, which uh, as you would expect gets just more and more impressive as this particular flavor of BIOS improves and a whole bunch of different uh, tweaker settings for if you just want to try and find the best possible overclock automatically without trying to play around with a ring bus and such. But even still, uh, when Mori did manually overclock it, if I can scroll down past all of those pictures, because you got to check out the review, there are a lot of them, Uh, He got uh, the CPU up to 4.67 gigahertz with a 4.5 gigahertz ring bus, but the base clock stuck at 167 megahertz. You dump that down to 100 megahertz, and the memory hit uh, 3.466 gigahertz with a ring bus of 4.5 gigahertz as well, which honestly is not too bloody bad for this thing. The only other thing that he didn't really like about this motherboard, uh, because you do tend to find this on the micro ATX boards a lot, is no integrated Wi-Fi. If that's gonna be a deal breaker for you, there are others out there that are gonna do it. On the other hand, if you want all of that storage, uh, if you wanna try and find out if you can overheat your M.2, I I skipped the fact that it's got two USB 3.1 ports, one is a Type-C, one is a Type-A, so there's a lot of stuff to do with this. Uh, it's definitely an overclocker's small form factor system. And, you know, overall, he really kind of liked this. There, there were a couple things that held back from the gold. It only got a silver award. But honestly, a silver award from Mori is actually a pretty good recommendation. So yeah, make sure to check out horrib- that review.
1: Yeah, it's not a horribly expensive board, too, no, considering all that you get. Yeah, 250 bucks considering some of their top-end stuff goes 350, 400. I mean, sure, you're giving up some space, but, uh, boy, it's got so much functionality anymore, and you still do SLI and Crossfire. Not not, it'll even quite
0: happily handle uh, two dual GPUs. Someone in the comments said, "What? why does this say it supports quad SLI and quad crossfire? Well, you don't actually think about it, but, yeah, if you're doing two dual GPUs, it is actually quad that's a little bit of a cheesy advertising statement but it is factually true very nice
1: nice job on that
0: maury and before we move on from maury's reviews okay he did want to mention uh that uh back uh when was that on the back in november on the 12th he did uh two different noctua coolers and one of them had some serious issues trying to uh, cool his uh, Haswell E. He got in touch with them, Noctua sent out two different models, and it really kind of looks like there might have been something wrong with the first ones he came out with because he retested and no problems. I The, the smaller little uh, NHD 15S and 14S, significant improvements, but they're still not going to catch up to that 15 non-S, which is just a big hunk of cooling power. So I wanted to make sure that everyone knew that, go back and read that review if you were looking at uh, some of those smaller coolers and saying, yeah, that's that's kind of horrible that they didn't really cool as well as or, like, they were almost failing cooling. It, there was a little bit of an error. There was a manufacturer's defect. Either way, take a look at the review again, because they actually do perform fairly recently reasonably well
1: nice well you know uh, oddly enough we do have an advertiser this week and you all are very lucky very lucky indeed to listen to me go over the ad copy this episode of pc perspective is brought to you by casper casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the cost they are revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms and passing those savings directly onto you. Uh, I know that uh, Ryan has gotten uh, a Casper bed, and uh, his experience of, with them were quite positive. Now those things are kind of massive, and and I mean they they pack them into a box somehow. And I I guess uh, well when he. Ken, you were around or you've seen this thing in, in action nope well, I hope you I hope you've never seen it I've
2: I never seen it. <laughs> I've not seen Ryan's mattress I'm sorry <laughs> that's
1: that's too bad but uh, the way he described it is it, it comes with in a box and it's over 75 pounds or something I mean it's pretty pretty big but they they stuff it in there and you have to have it in a room where you open up the box you lay it out and it and it just slowly starts starts expanding out uh, now it's it's kind of a regular Mattress, but it's got two technologies in there—the latex and memory foam—which uh, come together for better days. Oh wait, better nights and brighter days because you sleep better. I don't think it has springs in it, does it? Is it or is it? Is it just those two technologies in there?
2: As far as I know, it's a yeah, it's a springless foam sort of yep. mattress. All squishy. Nice. Otherwise, it wouldn't fit in the small box. Yeah, that would be a bit more challenging. That uh, that would be quite challenging.
0: They are
1: obsessively engineered mattresses at a very fair price. You can buy it online, completely risk-free. They will send it to you. I don't know what kind of things they tell you to do and not do on it, but if you don't like it, you can send it back. Try it out because they don't uh, have any showrooms, as they said, and that saves you money at the end. They offer free develop, free delivery and painless returns within a hundred day period, a hundred days, that's three pretty good months where you can spill a lot of Kool-Aid on the mattress and they'll still take it back.
0: Unless you had the unfortunate timing of having a kid at the same time. So you don't spend much time on the mattress.
1: (laughs) Yes, Sebastian, I I imagine you don't spend a whole lot of time in, in bed anymore.
4: Yeah, you know, like four or five hours at a time. A week? Sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it's gotten a lot better, but you value your sleep a lot more when you have a child, as Ryan and I have discovered recently. But I am a big proponent of these types of mattresses. I have a memory foam mattress myself, and its you basically find after just a short time that it's... I personally find it far better than a spring mattress because the support is different and it just kind of you sink into it. You feel like you find exactly um, like the right position to sleep and then it just kind of holds there. So I can see why he likes his.
1: And it clearly works for him because he got one and then right away, bam, a child. Yeah, it's obviously A plus B equals Z or something. We're not, you saying that oh. Casper mattresses will get you laid, but the proof is there. <laughs> I'm sure Casper is ecstatic that we said that directly outright. All of uh, their mattresses are made in the USA. So what is really nice and kind of amazing is you can get a Casper mattress for 500 bucks for a twin or $950 for a king-size mattress. That's a standard. Thinking good because the last mattress that I bought, which was a pillow top spring queen size, was twelve hundred bucks, and that was kind oh, of a you know. mid range project
0: product. What? I oh, said, bloody hell, twelve hundred bucks.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, and, and that's considered kind of mid range price for yeah. a, a queen size bed. So if you can get a king for nine hundred fifty dollars, made with the memory foam and uh, latex technology, that's pretty outstanding. And? But wait, there's more. There is more. Right you are, Ken. Except you're Jeremy. I'll be Ken for now. Well, okay. (laughs) Fine. You can get a Casper. uh, You can save an additional 50 bucks as one of our audience members by going to casper.com slash PCPer and entering the promo code PCPer. So go there again, casper.com slash PCPer with the promo code PCPER for fifty dollars off, that means a king size bed for nine hundred bucks, free shipping, and a one hundred day return policy that uh, is risk free. You can send it back anytime within that hundred days, and they will pay shipping and handling both ways. So, thanks again to Casper for supporting this PC Perspective podcast. And now. What, Paul Harvey? And now it's time for news.
0: You guys never l- listened to him, did I know wherever Uh-oh. you speak. It's just that Skype is destroying your joke. Damn I it. I was very young. Yeah, I used to
1: listen to Paul Harvey a lot.
0: Well, at least my parents forced me
1: to listen yeah. to Paul Harvey, but I enjoyed it. I mean, he had a great radio voice and a lot of interesting things to say. So we're on to the uh, news. PC bird Live, Killer Network's live stream, and... Can. can you talk a little bit about that? Since you are the man behind the curtain, pay no attention to you, except for right now.
2: Uh, you should go watch it. Wow. If you miss it live, you should go watch it. You should watch all of our content. <laughs> you can learn exciting things about the, the nick that very well, very well may already be on your motherboard and what you can do with it. Can is a
1: subscriber to Brevity yeah. is the soul of wit.
2: Listen. If you're struggling podcast, through this, two minutes long. if you're struggling through this, then you might as well watch our better content. Exactly, right. something <laughs> that Ryan
1: does and not yeah. JoshTech.com. Even though that Sebastian is my only employee that I don't pay. I've been Josh. meaning to talk to you about that, but I will. I will graciously wait until we are off air yet again, Josh. Right. Well, so obviously, that,
0: you you need to pay
2: him. He needs an upgrade. To his <laughs> I know.
0: I don't know yeah. what
2: So who won the who won the laptop? I'm I'm curious. Uh, I mean, I don't have the guy's name here. Oh, hey. okay. <laughs> but still, it's kind of a kind of a neat giveaway. Yeah.
1: Not every day you Fun see time. that. So anyway, next piece of news: AMD confirms a 384-bit bus on their Tonga chip. Now, this is something we've been thinking and hearing about for years. Well, maybe not years, but at least a year and a half. Where Tonga had a 384-bit bus, but the R9, the, what is it, the R985, which is the first generation, and then they rebranded it the r 9380 it only featured a 256 bus, so a lot of thought was coming out that, hey, the r 9380 x will feature the full 384-bit bus, which means it'll have 3 gigs or 6 gigs of memory on board. Well, AMD just never could seem to get the price-performance ratio down to where they really could enable that. Uh, Having a 384-bit bus requires a slightly more expensive PCB, and plus the extra memory on top of that, you're going, instead of having 2 gigs to 3 gigs and 4 gigs to 6 gigs, that's a, a bigger jump than they were really willing to do. And so they decided to keep it at a 256 bit bus, which is a bummer because everybody likes bandwidth. And there's a couple other things that the uh, you know the memory controllers kind of contribute to. Um, so it's disappointing for those that were hoping for a R9 380 X that had a 384 bit bus, but we have to deal with having a 256 bit bus on a four gig card around the $220. Level, I think it is. But anyway, it fits nicely in between the R9 380 and the R9 390. And uh, gives pretty good performance still. But again, it was disappointing to see the chip a little bit more underutilized than what we were expecting. Um,
4: is the next- memory compression that Tonga feature does that make up for some of that lost bandwidth or was that simply for um increasing the usable space of
1: the frame buffer no the compression is is more about bandwidth uh when you've got two gigs or four gigs of, of memory to deal with that kind of compression in memory is not as big as the extra bandwidth that you're getting through that functionality Clear as mud. Sure. Yes.
4: I got the impression that they they felt that some of the features they had in Tonga
1: kind of precluded
4: them from having to go to three hundred eighty four bit. Although it obviously was a cost savings measure, they admitted that it was a a price performance kind of a quandary. They never really found the sweet spot. They didn't really want to offer a product with lower margin or offer a more expensive product that didn't compete. But it's in there and it's in the core. It would be cool if a product was introduced that had the 384 bits enabled or if you could flash your BIOS and unlock it.
1: Yeah, but I mean, sure that's, that's it's a physical happen. thing. I mean, you've got to have a different PCB and, and the extra oh, memory okay. there to, to actually utilize. And, yeah, I think that the thinking was is the R9 390 with 8 gigs of memory is not all that much more expensive than... The 380x with four gigs of memory. So they were figuring that, hey, we could we could we could kind of split the difference and give it the six gigs, uh, raise the money a little bit, but then it gets awful close to that R9 390 with eight gigs, and then they probably felt that users just were not willing to get that hit in performance overall as compared to the 512 bit solution at 390, and uh, yeah, it's just. Prices are so compressed in between 100 and 300 bucks; it's it's hard to sandwich products in there to to make money and to have kind of an interesting and, and valuable price performance ratio. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, Intel Skylake processors can bend under pressure, damage CPU and LGA socket. Take it away, Jeremy.
0: Don't hump your heatsink.
1: That it, sounds it, like maybe really pretty
3: interesting and shiny. Song
0: don't fondle it and wiggle it around. It, it, I thought we understood this. Apparently I'm wrong. Now there's a wonderful little picture at the bottom of the article, which shows a good idea of where this is coming from. Skylakes are significantly thinner than Haswell's. On the other hand, it's not like the Haswell processor is sturdy and can handle you fondling that heatsink while it's installed. Uh, There's a reason that there are springs on the mounts, and why you should never ship a computer with a heatsink installed. It's a bad idea. Now, there are going to be some people that do this honestly. I mean, Josh and I have never accidentally driven a screwdriver. Uh, through a PCB while trying to install a heatsink That's not something that ever has happened in the past.
1: Never. I've no. never destroyed a $300 board by accidentally slipping with a flathead screwdriver across the memory traces and destroying yeah. it.
0: Never. Ouch. Nor have I. No. <clears throat> so be very careful when you're installing it and, and understand that a lot of the heat sinks that we're using nowadays uh, are within 100 grams of a kilo. That is an immense amount of weight on a very, very fragile piece of silicon. So you got to be very careful. Uh, there have been a couple of people that have had this happen and it, it is a horrible thing, uh, as I will tell you, to see a processor crack. Although he was doing something slightly different. So. It's interesting. Intel sort of says that uh, it can happen, but they're not responsible for third-party designs because at at least some of the stuff that I saw when I was looking at this online, it's happening in pre-built systems, uh, which are then shipped to the user because now it's no longer your fault and you've done nothing wrong. The person you bought it from shipped it to you with the heatsink installed and yeah that poor little processor cracked and even worse the LGA grid on the motherboard is probably damaged as well it's a possibility it's unlikely it's gonna happen Um, but really I like I'm not horribly upset about it uh, on Intel's psych I, I don't think it was something they did and totally just suppressed and said, no, no, don't tell anyone that these are going to crack. Because uh, Sebastian, how many times have you swapped out uh, on a Skylake board?
4: Uh, on this one, only a couple times, but I can kind of see how it would be a concern if I had a heatsink that was one of the style that sits just directly atop the, uh, the cover, the actual uh, lid on the CPU, and then you tighten it down so all the like the Noctua style and I know the Scythe like their um, high pressure mounting system any mm. of the the uh, CPU coolers that have you install a bracket first that gives you kind of a platform that you then set your cooler down onto and tighten it down those are not going to be affected by this none of the Noctua coolers that have the Secufirm Secufirm 2 mounting system are going to be affected by this because they create their own sturdy platform around the CPU which is kind of like how amd processors are you know you have a plastic uh kind of a box around the cpu and you actually set your cooler down on top of that and clamp it down to that so it supports it you're not just sitting it directly on top of the cpu and the weight of the cooler is uh only as evenly distributed atop the cpu as you were screwing it down you know if if you screw it down too tightly on one end and then screw down the other end too tight then you could very easily bend one corner of the PCB on this Skylake CPU because it is rather thin. I was trying to flex mine with my hand. I could do it if I really wanted to, but mine was not damaged. I've had, I want to say, like 10 different coolers on this board, testing coolers with this uh, Skylake 6600K, and I have not damaged my CPU. So if you're just careful
2: when you install it, it's not going to be an issue. In theory, even if you did over torque it when you were screwing it in, shouldn't it work until you try to Unscrew remove it? it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So even for like ninety percent of people, if they do do this, like they're not going to take off the heatsink until they're ready to get rid of the system. So yeah. yeah. So, so if, if you, do do you like use one of those safe mounting systems,
0: plunders, yeah, th- they will ship you new screws, but think twice about removing that cooler yeah next bit, Ace sends send cease and desist
1: order for water cooled GPUs, now as we know they're becoming quite popular uh, AMD with their Fury cards EVGA some MSI has another but apparently Ace Tech has had enough sending cease and desist with these puppies uh, which one of you guys is familiar with this particular story
4: I started writing it up. I know Scott got this one. But they had... This came out um, about a year ago when they won their initial case against Cooler Master, I think. And then earlier this year in September, there was some news about it. And this kind of just came out of nowhere this last week where they had sent these cease and desist letters to Gigabyte and, uh, of course, AMD, uh, among others, if uh, they're... Is any design out there that uses a integrated pump in the uh, CPU block, which is every one of these pretty much, then they are, I'm sure, going to start demanding royalties. I I would say that this is
0: step one of them trying to negotiate royalties. I can't imagine. They've already got 25 cents on the dollar of every dollar that Cooler Master made off of these. Really? That was the settlement? 25.375%. So um, now just more. That I can't imagine how
4: they would get more money from AMD then, because they want AMD to either yes. stop selling the Fury X, which is never going to happen, or pay them a bunch of money for each Fury X sold, which seems ludicrous because they bought the cooler from Cooler Master, who's already Funny, paid damages works. to Ace Attack. Yeah. And they also yeah. want to shut down Coolit systems and anybody else who has their own original design. Uh, EK, I believe they want to shut them down as well, or have them pay royalties. Uh, I have an EK self-contained unit here to test, and if the pump is, and actually the pump is not built into the water block on this, it's uh, attached to the radiator, I believe, so that may not be affected, but...
0: No, that'll be outside. You, you don't owe a, a, a AceTech any money at this point. Close, <laughs> though. Mm, kind of disappointing. We we
1: love patent law and royalty so much. Yes. Corsair launches the H5SF Mini ITX CPU liquid cooler. Have you, Corsair, you guys looked at this thing? Have, what's that? Have you looked at this thing? Nope.
4: It is awesome. It's huge. I don't even know then why show I think it it's so me. cool, but it's basically like a blower style cooler for your CPU. It's got a 20-millimeter blower fan inside of a shroud that blows across a small radiator. And it attaches directly to – it attaches in line with your Mini-ITX motherboard to the case. There's no touching the chassis in any way. It'll fit in any it's case. Because it's it the same spoiler. size as the motherboard. It is. And it, it stands up above it, obviously, about about the same height as the board. So the the two combined are 84 millimeters tall. So if you've got room for basically two Mini-ITX boards stacked on top of each other, you can fit this inside of just about any case other than the very smallest Mini-ITX cases. And from, of course, I haven't tested one of these, but from their little chart, they are very confident that this can handle even an overclocked, Enthusiast level processor And keep it a lot cooler than a, a low profile air cooler ever could
1: For some reason that reminds me of the uh, the Vacuum droid in Wally, e You know the one that follows them up With the roller thing And I don't know And also what kind of Case is going to have A cutout?
0: Yeah Up top that will The allow custom it to vent? case oh, that they on.
1: designed for this
0: No, you don't want just a cutout. You you want a full-on blower. Like, like you're modding the hood of your car to have a
2: blower
1: <laughs> on
0: it. That, you, you have to if you're going to get that.
2: Well, it's mad Step on my
1: dreams. Beyond blower dome.
2: If you put in a full ATX case, it'd have a cutout there. And a fan. Yeah, yeah. It'd be perfect. <laughs> That's why you bought them any ITX. Yeah. Perfect.
1: Ah, uh, Corsair. It also introduces the Carbide 600 series. They're finally getting into the inverted ATX enclosures. Sebastian, you have been talking a lot, and you know what? You're going to talk some more to all the listeners out there.
4: Uh, I actually have one of these. I have the quiet version in for review, and there's the C, which I would assume stands for clear, clear side panel window. This is a really nice looking case. So they've they've it's,
1: activated their inner thetan.
4: They have,
0: and it's... It it looks like... It's brought to you by Michael Bay. There's way too much HDR on that. (laughs) There's a bit.
4: I like it. I don't know if I like the
1: color scheme. I thought that was J.J. Abrams that has the lens flare. Uh, You'd be right about that.
4: Yeah. So, if you remember the old carbide... I want to say it was 600R. I can't remember what the actual model was. It was a case that had... Uh, a nice latched door, and the door was on a hinge, and just a really nice case to work with, not too expensive. This thing is a little bit less expensive. That was a hundred and sixty-nine dollar case. This is one forty-nine. It comes with a side panel window version, which is virtually all side panel window, and a quiet version, which has a solid side panel but also has
1: uh, noise damping
4: material throughout the inside.
1: Hey, notice in that picture. Go back. No go back. Come on, Ken. You can do it. Look look what... No, that's still not going to work. What? I was thinking that that big, big face would be where that cooler went in the previous story, but no. It's, <laughs> it wouldn't be nearly <laughs> tall enough. It's, it, well, no, it's, it's in the wrong place. It's where the big fan is. True. But you yeah. could just anyway. have the big fan blowing out
4: and then that would blow towards the big fan. Sure, why not? Or no, I guess that fan would have to move. It would be in the way. It would. Anyway, you know, of course, it has a list of the uh, cases that the H5SF cooler is compatible with. I'm guessing this is not one of them. <laughs> but this, these inverted boards, these inverted uh, cases, they literally just turn the motherboard upside down. It's not like the Silverstone Raven or the the Fortress FT05 that have the motherboard pointed up so that the top. No, it's, is on it's the top. more like the Btx. Yeah, it's yeah, Btx so it's exactly 2.0. Like BTX. So everything just kind of is turned around, and you have your, like, the blower fans on your GPUs will then be facing up. And, you know, your I.O. is on the right side instead of the left side on the back. And there. the first experience I ever had with a case with this design uh, idea was the Silverstone Temgen TJ08E. If you remember this, it was a micro ATX case with a inverted motherboard design. They still sell. And because it had such a large uh, front intake fan, something about this layout with the way that heat rises and if you have a lot of positive pressure in the front, it had the best cooling performance of any small case I ever used. So it's promising to me that this thing includes a couple of 140 millimeter fans that you can use for front intake, the rear fan is also 140 millimeters, so you have you have some big fans that can move quite a bit of air, and I'm very curious to test this case out and see how cool I can get a system to run with very little noise.
2: Do you know if the window is glass, is tempered glass, or plastic?
4: I don't know. Judging so, by... I, th-
2: I thought by I saw approach, it was tempered glass.
4: Would be, it would be... Plastic, but yeah. that design—it almost looks like it
2: would have to be glass because it's half yeah. of the door. I, I thought I saw somewhere that it was glass, but looking at the press release, I can't find it, so I don't know. Yeah, hmm.
4: I didn't see anything in the press release about glass. They talked about steel a lot. Yeah, a computer steel. case made out of steel. I know, it's unheard of. of.
2: Interesting, wacky.
4: But I had to run down here to the basement to see if I had the windowed version. When I saw this press release, and I have the quiet version, which is is fine. But I don't, I don't, I haven't answered your question. <laughs>
1: Fair enough. I also don't have a side window. Yet. Well, CES is coming up. Maybe you can ask for one. Or maybe we can hit one with a hammer and see what happens. (laughs) (laughs) Anyhow, Nexus Mods probably hacked. I don't know what this means.
0: Jeremy, I don't Uh, know. This is a quick PSA from me. Uh, I've recommended Nexus Mods several times over the years because that is where you want to go if you like to mod your games. Chances are that they were hacked. Uh, If you have a user, the vast majority of users there don't bother to log in, you just download the mods, but if you do have one, change your buddy password. Uh, The main problem is a lot of the Fallout 4 mods, the developers are looking at them going that doesn't match the CRC anymore, that's not the right size, that's not right, so if you're playing Fallout 4 and thinking about downloading mods give it a little bit of time let them sort this out uh, just because the last thing you want is a poisoned mod nobody wants a poisoned mod
1: you know I, I didn't think that we'd make as long of a podcast as we have but congratulations Ken you've added enough content and enough side dialogue that we've made it to this point I take all credit for everything that's happened in this podcast I would take all the credit Because you're the man behind the curtain So that means it's time for Hardware Software Picks of the Week Jeremy, since Ryan is gone On yet another vacation Because he doesn't ever work Ever Just no. ask Ken
0: No,
2: no what did. You I think
0: his pick is Poi <laughs> <laughs> Considering where he is Uh, This was almost my pick last week, but uh, that Raspberry Pi selfie killer was just too amusing to pass by. Uh, So the Oberon station is significantly more expensive uh, than the Pi Zero, but it's also interesting in a very different way. Uh, It uses what was once Pascal. Pascal is still a thing It's grown up. It's even got an operating system. Uh, And it's been designed sort of from the ground up to be very easy to figure out and very new. So if you've got uh, a kid, uh, I'm guessing somewhere between the ages of about 8 to 12 or so, that you're trying to corrupt and convince that, hey, hacking hardware is fun. Programming is an interesting thing to try out. This is a really interesting thing to pick up. A couple of the reviews that I've seen have sort of uh, compared it to like the the Spectrum ZX or uh, the Amiga 600, back when you could actually understand an operating system and build it up from scratch, do all sorts of interesting things with it. Because starting out on the Pi, Daddy, why does Linux do this thing? Well, because it always has, so we just sort of stick with it. This is a nice gateway drug for programming, I think. It's going to be a little bit more expensive, but it's also going to be a little bit more of a quickly learn how to do it and then do stuff. Then you can move them on to the Raspberry Pi and the more interesting, difficult stuff. But uh, if you can find it right now, actually, when I checked it, their site was down uh, because there's a lot of interest in it. It, It's sitting about a hundred bucks or so. But on the other hand, uh, it's going to be a hundred bucks well spent if you can raise a kid that's Interested in the insane things that we are all interested here in.
1: So Hewlett needs to get his
0: kid to start working on this now, right? Uh, probably a good idea. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Won't play and Minecraft. If that doesn't work, I, I, there's an alternative link in there for uh, little bits, which are essentially programmable Lego. You, you, you build circuits. You can actually build. Home automation stuff out of it and it's simple enough again for a kid to understand for a little bit of investment but really not all that much that's cool
1: so my hardware pick of the week uh, boy I uh, I broke down I did it I the, the last uh, TV I, I bought was in 2009 I believe it was an LG 47 48 inch first generation fluorescent backlit 60 hertz, nothing real exciting. But it was cheap at the time at $699. Well, look what you can get for $699 now. This is the LG 55-inch, uh, what, uh, 6450? What is that? No, the 55UF6450. This was kind of a limited release. Only a couple of places around the Internet and uh, physical stores got some. It is a 55 inch 4K panel. It's a full smart TV. It's got a single, I believe, HDMI 2.0 um, port. It can do, you know, the, the deep color, what, 444 at 60 hertz. It's one of those, you know, of course, true motion ones which flickers the backlight double time as compared to the 60 hertz, what the panel can natively do. Got all the apps on there that you could really want. And yeah, for a 55-inch 4K screen, it's kind of stunning. It's Is it perfect? No. Uh, backlight bleed is not great. Uniformity is pretty good, but when you're in really dark scenes or you just have a, a black uh, screen, you can see the the kind of grayish-blackish modeling throughout. I mean, it's not perfect, but... For 700 bucks, you get a lot of TV and a lot of real estate, and it looks really, really surprisingly good. Controls are good. Uh, once you start getting used to the menu options, uh, you can quickly change it to, you know, sports and uh, cinema and, and a couple other uh, user-defined settings to uh, kind of, you know, get, get the screen to how you want it. So uh, a lot of really good options in there. Again, apps... You can stream in Netflix 4K. I've been doing plenty of stream testing on that. And uh, the wireless integrated into the TV is really good. I've I've got an old house with thick walls. And uh, previously, some of my wireless solutions out in the living room, which is far away from my wireless router, uh, it would not do great. This has worked just absolutely flawlessly. So obviously, I've got a big antenna somewhere in there. And, again, for 699 or some odd bucks, it's, it's really a tremendous deal. You can get it online, or you can go to your local Walmart and see if they got the things there. But, yeah, 55-inch 4K, not a whole lot of money.
2: Is this, this is running WebOS, isn't it? Because it's an LG yeah. TV. Web, Web yeah, WebOS 2.0. Awesome. How do you feel about that, Sebastian? I feel great about it. You know, it's an innovative
4: operating system that was way ahead of its time. <laughs> I think that as you scroll through the cards uh you'll feel you'll feel like you're it's an organic uh process of discovery and self actualization.
1: Well, I feel more very deep about my at first I was not entirely sure about my buy. I thought oh, I'd made a poor decision and then the more I played with it the better the experience got. And now Did I'm you not say, so is sorry. It, uh, IPS? You know what panel it is? It is an LG. Yeah, it's an IPS.
4: IPS 4K? Less than 700 bucks?
1: Yeah. 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 Sell off I'm some in, of those cases, Sebastian. Sell them I'm off. In. All right, next. Alan.
3: Yeah, so um, how often have you been to somebody's house or maybe even your own house? Where you try to use your phone, and you got no signal. Oh. You know how that kind of sucks and stuff, right?
1: Well, there's there's medication for that.
3: Well, there's actually devices. They're a little yep. bit of a pain in the butt. They can be. Well, you're using it wrong, then. <laughs> but, there is a, but there is such a thing as a cell signal booster. Um, and I'm not talking about the gimmicky little sticker things you use to stick on the back of your phone or underneath the battery or... You know, stuff like that. I'm talking about a thing where it's actually an active device, sort of like a router, and comes with an an antenna that's meant to go either like up in your attic or somewhere outside of your house, preferably like the part of your house that has the best signal out of what you have. Um, Because usually the case is you'll have like one or two bars outside, but then as soon as you go inside or into the back room of your house or something like that, you get nothing, right? Um, Well, I mean, this thing will basically just repeat that signal. So as long as you have a strong enough signal to where you place the antenna, and the example I'm using right here is a Z-Boost, and there's different variants of it for how large your house is or what the application is, but the lowest model, which is like typical house size um, square footage capability, is a couple hundred bucks. So for a couple hundred bucks, it seems kind of steep for something that's just like a signal amplifier, but I know some people that have spent more on their router than this, and still have like no cell signal at their house. So uh, if you get this thing, it comes with like a 50-foot cord, but it's just, I think it's standard coax. So I think you can go, you know, longer distance if you really need to, but uh, you basically go put the antenna on as close to the outside perimeter of your house as possible. It's even, you know, it's weatherproof. It's like designed to be in the weather, so it's meant to be like mounted outside the house if you want. You run the cord like through your attic, and you put the device somewhere as close to the center of your house as you can, and that it could even be sitting in your attic. It Doesn't really matter, um, because it it effectively makes your cell signal like almost maxed. Like it basically, you know, it's it's just like the same effect as like a wireless. What a wireless repeater would have done, you know, if you're sitting right next to the wireless repeater, you're going to get max cell signal. Well, if you're like five miles from the cell tower, <laughs> it's it's kind of like you know a long, a long haul to get there. Um, And actually, a lot of the problem with weak cell signal is not so much the receiving. It's actually that your cell is trying to send at its maximum power, and it's not actually making it back to the tower. And this thing would take care of that also, right? Like, your cell signal is only going to this device, which is much closer than, like, several miles away. um, And it's being amplified by that device. So what what that also does is it ends up making your cell battery in, like, all the cell phones in your house, last longer because they think that they're right next to the cell tower so they don't have to transmit at max power anymore they only have to transmit at probably even the lowest power because they're only going 25 or 50 feet you know to get to back to this device which in turn repeats it back to the tower through the antenna that's outside so it's pretty cool stuff and these things used to cost a lot more money um but they've definitely been coming down lately in cost and uh for 200 bucks if you're in if you're just in one of those You know, one of those areas, even if your cell works fine, but if you have other people that use other carriers that try to come over to your house and they can't like make calls, you know, because their other carrier is crappy, this will fix that, too. So, and it'll still, you know, and it'll still save on your cell battery as well.
2: Can I use it to deny cell phone service to my neighbors?
3: Uh, No. Okay, not now. not not in the form which it's it is purchased. I see. I
2: see. <laughs> so if I just hook it up backwards,
3: I see.
1: Yes. <laughs>
3: right? Yes. You just you know, have
1: change like the, the polarity on the dilithium crystals.
3: Yes. Yes.
0: Suddenly it'll inhibit it all. And I give this chat a perfectly good firefight quote, and they don't even go off. Of it. <laughs> I know. Yep. Can't stop the signal, Mal. Fontano.
3: No firefly. Flames. No, I, 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 no, I, I get got it. it. I laughed. I giggled. I did. I chuckled. Okay.
1: Sebastian. Okay.
4: My pick of the week is kind of an unusual one, but it's the Yamaha YSP1400. It is a soundbar. I know that Josh was just talking about a TV. What better way to compliment that new TV than awesome sounding simulated surround sound from a small soundbar? This thing, though, I have to say, I demoed one of these at a Best Buy a few months ago, and I tried out every soundbar in the store, and I had been kind of experimenting with soundbars as I was going to downsize my living room setup and get rid of my discrete 5.1 system. And every soundbar I heard sounded flat and crappy. And even the ones that had a decent sub, they just added a bunch of boom to the sound, and they didn't sound clear or realistic at all. And this thing sounded completely different it has eight little drivers up front that all can operate independently this the digital uh, signal they, processing goes on what's that are, are they teamsters
1: they could be i mean i didn't go through all the bylaws I and see. all
4: the articles that came well with i this. live in
1: a right to work state so I, I, I doubt we'd see the soundbar
4: there yeah and michigan is a right to work state yeah. as well we're not gonna get to politics that's next week but you know right now Uh, We're just talking about sound, and I didn't worry about the ramifications of my purchase or some of the uh, rights I may have been giving up in the process. But it's $300 right now, but it's discontinued. Yamaha's moved on. They have a different model to replace this that only has six drivers. But this is an eight-driver setup with two subwoofers built in. It's got 70-something watts of total power. You would not believe that there was not a separate sub. It's like the old Bose tricks where they play you like the sound wave or whatever it's called, the music wave. And then they have the two big speakers and they move them aside. And like all this music was coming from this little box. Because this this sound bar sounds like there is a sub somewhere nearby. Extremely well-ported, powerful bass. And then it actually is capable of producing that kind of holographic effect where you would swear there was a speaker behind you. So it's bouncing the sound around the walls and doing different tricks to make you think it's real surround sound, but it actually is delivering real 5.1 channel. It's not simulated from stereo. It decodes the real Dolby Digital or uh, DTS signal and discreetly plays the signal out through some of those independent speakers up front. So really, really good sound. If you're out looking at a sound bar and you happen to find one of these on clearance, as I did, for like half price or something. It's in my opinion the best sounding soundbar under
1: $500. Very nice. Well, that's our last guy unless Ken has something he wants to add. Nope. Okay. How about a how about a car door lock?
2: <laughs> in progress.
1: Yes, very nice. Uh anyway, that's that's our podcast for tonight. Again, you can, you can find these at uh, pcpercom slash podcast. You can email us at podcast at uh, pcperr.com. Find us on Twitter, twitter.com slash Ryan Shroud, twitter.com slash pcperr, twitter.com slash Josh D. Walrath. And Alan and those guys, they've, they've all got stuff. For a week that seemed to fly by, apparently we had more news that was interesting than, than I expected. So, thanks again for joining us tonight. And with that,
3: I'm Josh Walrath. I'm Jeremy Holstrom. I'm Alan Malmatano. And I'm Sebastian Peek.
2: Don't forget Ken. No, we're forgetting Ken. <laughs> we're
3: forgetting Ken. <laughs> Ken is going to edit himself out of the podcast. Yes. There'll be a bunch of weird jumps and no one will understand. <laughs> but remember, Ken took full credit i mean responsibility for this podcast
2: (laughs) exactly he may
1: not have found the words at the right time but eventually the words found him and with that we wish you a good night